This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. My name is Simon Penn in Macro Sales here at UBS, and in this episode, we're going to be taking a high-level look at the credit market. I'm joined by Matt Mish, Head of Credit Strategy at UBS Investment Bank. Hi, Simon. So, thanks very much indeed for joining me, Matt. Um, Let's get going, and let's start with um, a really broad question. Um, And here it comes. What can credit tell us about equities? Thanks, Simon. It's a great question. Historically, credit has been a mixed indicator for equities over the very long run, but this masks its importance for equity investors at different points in the cycle. Simply put, in good times, we've suggested credit whispers in the ears of equity. Equity is driven by other factors such as earnings growth, and it largely ignores credit. In bad times, however, credit shouts at equities, and since 1990, credit has been a leading indicator of market downturns. Yeah, I'd certainly agree with that from from my experience in markets in terms of the the latter anyway, credit shouts at equities. I think that's a a really interesting phrase to use, actually. Um, I mean, I think every time that we've been into um, a difficult period, the market that I've ended up watching the most has been credit. And and as you say, in good times, it's been the other way around. We end up sort of putting credit to one side. Um, why, Why do you think that it has that sort of level of forecasting power, particularly in bad times when credit ends up being the market that we all become really interested in? Yeah, um, I think there are three reasons. The first is credit, I would say, is like oil for uh, uh, for an engine. Um, for the economy, it's the lubricant that facilitates the flow of funds between borrowers and lenders to sustain a variety of economic activities. Um, second, I think more specifically, history has been littered with economic cycles that have been accentuated by credit imbalances, so excessive growth in riskier debt. And that buildup becomes unsustainable. And we all can remember the surge in mortgage market debt and consumer leverage prior to the global financial crisis as the most uh, recent and stark example. I also think credit investors face uh, asymmetric payouts. So they're naturally more sensitive to downside risk. Uh, Over the life of a corporate bond or security, the maximum return is often the coupon, but the maximum loss is obviously the principal value. So that asymmetry I think creates essentially credit investors that are highly attuned and sensitive uh, when the environment starts to to deteriorate, which generally is obviously at the uh, later ends of the cycle. Okay, let's just go back onto that that second of the points you made around, um, or did you say economic cycles accentuated by credit imbalances, I think think were the words. Um, How do you think about that at the moment? Because um, by my reckoning, we don't have conventional leverage, but we do have um, what I might kind of call um, exuberance in some elements of, of the market. And there are one or two instruments that I could certainly think of. So, so my view on this is that we're heading for a bit of a reset because you've, you've ended up with um, Fed liquidity basically replacing what would ordinarily be your credit imbalance. Do you think that 
that feeds in, because that's certainly my thesis, is that this has all got to have a pretty brutal adjustment at the moment at which the Fed make a decision to start winding that back. I think it's fair to say that central banks have essentially provided um, the liquidity that you normally would see from the credit market, and, and certainly governments as well. So monetary and fiscal policy, I think effectively, to make the analogy, has provided almost synthetic oil um, for a lot of the economic activity uh, that we've seen, certainly over the last 12 or 15 months. I think going forward, what we believe is over time, uh, that liquidity will start to be withdrawn, and the importance of that liquidity in infecting broad markets, including credit, will fade. And I think as that fades, the importance of kind of more traditional indicators that we monitor in credit, um, you know, will be increasingly important. Again, it won't happen overnight, but I think as we move through this year and we get into 2022 uh, and certainly into 2023, there's going to be a transmission back from what, again, I would allude to as synthetic oil to kind of your more <laughs> traditional oil uh, and, uh, and credit signals will be highly relevant. Yeah, it's funny you should use synthetic oil. That that really resonates to me. Okay, let's let's sort of move on a, a little bit. If you're uh, uh, sat in the in the market looking at these things, or you're me, sort of uh, thinking about how to advise clients and so on, um, what are the relevant indicators that that you look at, um, and what's the sort of data that that I need to be thinking about? I think there's a number of relevant indicators to monitor. Um, I'll highlight several of the more important metrics to track. So first, the level of debt leverage and the quality and volume of issuance. So simply how high is the level of debt relative to economic output and earnings um, and compared to history? This can also be broken down uh, across and within debt segments. So we can look at things like household or corporate debt. Uh, we could also within corporates look at more specific sectors like high grade or high yield. The bottom line is higher indebtedness signals higher sensitivity of equities to credit risk, particularly as, to use the analogy, synthetic uh, oil or lubricant provided by monetary policy uh, and uh, fiscal policy wears off. Um, related to that, again, is how much lower quality debt is being issued compared to history. Uh, this can be viewed along several dimensions, but in short, the share of lower rated debt sold, uh, according to rating agencies like Moody's, and also the use of proceeds. Um, is the debt being used to refinance existing debt, uh, which would be more positive for creditors, or is it being used for more risky activities, uh, such as a leveraged buyout or a dividend recapitalization? Uh, those two things together give you a better idea um, of the potential for a risky uh, buildup in credit or an imbalance um, to, be, uh, to be basically uh, uh, you know, growing. Okay, that yeah, that's that's really helpful. Now, um, can you bring that up one or two levels? Um, because I tend to think about things in a in a very macro sense. I mean, my sort of market thesis, if you like, is is based very much on financing conditions, um, and I've got a view that I'll offer up after I've, uh, after we've sort of thought about how, how you look at this. But if we come up and, and we come back to those macro factors, do you look at financing conditions, and I'm underlining the insing rather than financial, and, um, and also liquidity? How do, how do they feature in your thinking? Yeah, so um, financing conditions or liquidity, I think, are important both in um, 
secondary and primary markets. So on the financing side, uh, our lenders, both banks, but increasingly non-banks, so insurance companies, mutual funds, foreign investors, charging a higher price for credit. Um, is there a change in the amount of credit available or are lenders demanding more protections or covenants basically from borrowers to access new credit? Uh, you can have, for example, a buildup in debt and very risky issuance, but if the taps remain on and financing conditions remain robust, then that can extend for, for quite a period of time. Um, conversely, any of these three signs that might indicate that credit or, the, again, the traditional lubricant for economic activity is starting to basically fade um, is something that we watch for consistently. On the market liquidity side, um, there's a number of measures to look at basically whether the market is telling you that liquidity is rising or falling. Um, we look at bid-ask spreads. Uh, that's simply where investors buy versus sell debt securities like corporate bonds. We look at valuations of liquid versus illiquid securities. Um, a good example of this is your traditional uh, underlying bond portfolio, where those valuations trade versus where a more liquid instrument like the credit ETFs trade. And then valuations of cash versus derivative instruments can also provide indications of market liquidity uh, in, in particular, again, whether that liquidity remains robust as it is today or whether it starts to fade. So whether it's in existing or new markets, um, financing conditions and liquidity are very uh, important in terms of our, you know, the framework of the way that we think about credit um, and the credit signals uh, and how it relates to obviously broader markets, including equities. Yeah, that really, that really does resonate, particularly that first part about financing conditions. The reason that I sort of underlined the, the, the precise spelling, if you like, of financing rather than financial is because the way that I've thought about markets, particularly at the moment, is that financing conditions are extraordinarily loose. Um, and the way that I think about that is the difference between where break-evens are, i.e. inflation expectations, and where real rates are, which I kind of think about as, as the overall cost of money. Now, that spread between the two has never been wider than it currently is. And this, I think, is one of the reasons why the markets have been able to, I, I'm going to use this phrase that I'm obviously borrowing, but, but this exuberance idea, because what you have is, is a, 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 an inflation expectations part of the market that is saying things are off to the races, and a real rates or financing conditions that tells you that money is astonishingly cheap. Now, that, I think, is what's driven an awful lot of the gains that we've had this year, and particularly in the most risky parts. What worries me when we come back into how does this end or, or what, are the, what are the possible problems is that that snaps shut. Now, I think that's what happened when we look back at, at um, February, late February and early March of this year that you had a very, very rapid repricing of real rates, really driven by the market's pricing on the Fed. And in turn, that caused all of those rate-sensitive sectors of the market, and I, I put credit in there just as much as tech or small cap, um, to really find things difficult. So that point that you made, Matt, on, on financing conditions, for me, out of all of those, I mean, all, all, all three of those of, of um, leverage, 
financing conditions and then liquidity are, are critical, but that middle one of financing conditions um, seems to be just so super important. Okay, let's move on. Um, so how important do you think credit market signals are going to be for markets? Because we've already kind of established that when things are bad, you end up with this kind of yelling um, and shouting from credit. What do you think from here? Yeah, so bottom line, I think most of the key credit data through May of 2021 suggests that for most of the rest of the year, we should remain in good times. Um, credit will likely whisper in the ear of equity investors, or to use your analogy, I also think that the synthetic oil that's been provided by central banks uh, and policy officials, government officials, is likely to sustain us through the rest of 2021. Okay, so financing conditions, easy. What about um, credit spreads and, and then the other two in terms of leverage and the other, and the other metrics? Yeah, so financing conditions are very easy. Credit spreads are very tight today. Issuance volumes are elevated and lenders are easing standards. So how, how does that change? I think as we move into uh, later this year and into early 2022, I think what you'll see is credit spreads will start to soften at the margin, but we're still expecting relatively tight spreads. But I think our, some of our other indicators are suggesting that this is more middle and not early stages of the cycle. And there's probably two in particular. One is the level of U.S. corporate debt, in particular relative to GDP, is going to fall, but it's likely to remain very elevated versus history. And that speaks to, obviously, the broader concern that there's a very elevated level of debt globally, um, you know, across different regions, uh, as well as, obviously, in North America. And then the second is that the quality of issuance, uh, the amount of issuance, again, is above average, but the quality of that issuance year to date is poor. And we've seen a pretty substantial deterioration since the second half of 2020. So some of those reasons make us think that we are closer to the middle of the cycle. And I think, again, history would suggest that, uh, you know, the lasting importance of credit signals for investors to anticipate turning points is really something that's going to be there to stay. And I think we've had shorter cycles ever since the financial, the global financial crisis. And I think that that means that people need to be more attuned uh, or continue to be attuned to credit signals, particularly as we move through the calendar to, uh, again, to, to start to turn the page at the end of this year and into next year. Yeah, it feels like we're back in the familiar territory of um, remembering that solvency and liquidity can be very different things when you think about that stage of the cycle. Um, let me use that sort of infamous phrase that, of course, we must never use, but I'm about to, which is, um, you know, is it different this time? Um, is it different for credit? What if we transition to a new regime? Can we? What would that look like? So one of the biggest debates, I think, uh, this year is the potential for a change in the inflation regime. Right? It's higher inflation going forward, and all of us obviously see the rise in prices um, across many different many different goods and services. But while this is not our central case, um, you know the work we've done actually suggests that credit signals were probably more, not less important in pinpointing turns in the cycles in, for example, the Great Inflation Era, which was the 1960s and 1970s. If you think about that era, you know the yield curve um, was controlled. Uh, by the Federal Reserve to a greater degree. There was a significant amount of financial repression. And as a result, I would say that signal was somewhat distorted when we look back in time, the yield curve and the inversion of the yield curve. Some of the other traditional metrics, I think, also become less relevant. 
but we actually find in our work that credit signals were one of the more important and sustainable um, you know, indicators that did seem to work when you had the turn in the late 60s and then through the recessions or the downturns that you saw in the 1970s. So bottom line is stay tuned. Um, the tea leaves from credit we think should be a key part of every investor decision-making process for the next decade. Matt, thank you very much once again. That's a fantastic overview of your market. Really appreciate it. Um, you've been listening to an introduction to the credit market with me, Simon Penn, Macro Sales in UBS Knowledge Network, and Matt Mish, Head of Credit Strategy here at UBS Investment Bank. Thank you for visiting the UBS Research Pod Hub and tune in again for more investment insights. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content. It has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regulatory, or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2021. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS. All rights reserved.